0: Welcome back to another St. Mark's podcast. My name's Peter MacDonald and I'm a, a surgeon at St. Mark's. But today we have a very special guest uh, at the Frontiers meeting here at, in, in London 2019, what, what we're um, colloquially calling Frontier Corridor Chats. Professor Brian Saunders, uh, welcome.
1: Thank you, Peter. Pleasure uh, to be here.
0: And uh, this is very informal. And uh, Brian is the um, most senior gastroenterological endoscopist at St. Mark's and a successor, if I may say, to uh, Christopher Williams and uh, has many, much experience internationally and nationally. And he's going to talk about something very banal, which I think is of great interest to anybody doing a, a colonoscopy. Literally, the uh, technique of insertion and the special um, ways he's found uh, to aid that, given that this, the uh, scopes, and the things we're now trying to do with scopes have changed uh, quite a lot. So Brian, tell us Thank your you. Thanks, please. Uh, uh
1: The, you know, in colonoscopy practice, we get very focused on doing advanced therapy and doing complicated things. But actually, for the majority of colonoscopists, the biggest stressor is the ability or the thing that is is concerning is to be able to get to the cecum quickly and and efficiently, which is the key part of the the procedure. And colonoscopy can be difficult in about maybe five to ten percent of procedures. The clonic anatomy is highly variable. The mesenteric attachments are variable. And having a good and reliable colonoscopic insertion technique is really key to being able to do that therapy, to examine carefully um, during withdrawal and to do all the more complicated things that that we can talk about on another occasion. So in terms of insertion, uh, the, the first thing is we start in the left lateral position and it's very important to get the bed at the right height for you. You may stand, you may sit, most people will stand, but it's really important to reduce any risk of back injury or orthopedic problem. Have everything laid out in front of you. And what I like to do is I like to actually drape the, en- the endoscope um, just on the table, form the rectal examination with my right index finger, I'm right-handed, um, and as I withdraw the index finger, I insert the colonoscope. You see a lot of people separately performing a rectal examination and then putting the scope in again. And this is quite a traumatic, yes, it can traumatic be very uncomfortable moment for, for the, patient. the patient, so it's better to get the whole thing over and done within one go, so it's what I call the Seldinger technique. You do the yes. rectal examination. As you're withdrawing the finger, you insert the colonoscope. And actually, many patients, the direction of the anal canal can vary quite a bit. And if you get that wrong, it can be uncomfortable for the patient. And of course, the
0: rectal examination is uh, very, very important, just in
1: case you're not missing other lesions that you... you it know. is. To, to examine the perineum um, and the rectum and to perform a... A gentle rectal examination.
0: Okay, so we we got that, and you're presumably taking off your second glove at that point because it's all you take off the second glove. Yeah, it's sorry, very important. You need a dry glove to use. Keep everything on the dry instrument. so
1: you can uh, ma- manipulate yeah. the controls effectively. Now the next thing is to um, orientate yourself, and this often involves slightly pulling back the colonoscope. And at this point, what has changed in recent times is the use of water. We now have a water pump, uh, it, which is integral to the colonoscope and we can use large volumes of water during the insertion phase. And do you set that, that up for every colonoscopy For every now? colonoscopy now. So we will irrigate and wash, orientate, um, come to a uh, slight distension of, of, the, of the rectum so that you can see the, uh, the forward view. But mainly the insertion through the sigmoid colon is done effectively underwater. So you're using the water to open up the folds and uh, steer the colonoscope forward rather than using gas. We use carbon dioxide, obviously there's been a, that was a, a major um, advance in terms of comfortable insertion for patients changing from room air to carbon dioxide. We, that's standard. Uh, nobody should be using room air anymore, and but generally through the sigmoid insertion you're using water predominantly. For right, the you insertions. don't put too much CO2
0: in because if you put it before, before the
1: water you get lots of bubbling, don't you? Well the more CO2 you put in, the more distended the colon's going to yeah. get, the longer it's going to get, the more likely you are to get looping and what you want to try to do is to insert into the descending colon without forming a loop or any significant loop. It's not always possible, even with water you'll still get looping occurring, so therefore things like the scope guide imager, um, uh, magnetic imaging of the colonoscope is crucial to show you the, the position so that you can take corrective manoeuvres during that phase. No,
0: now I've read about how the water is supposed to help but I didn't
1: quite understand it. What does is, what is it do? Does it straighten out the sigmoid? So the, the first thing it's doing is that you're not using gas, so you're not distending the bowel as much. The second thing it's doing is it's slightly weighting the colon so that in the left lateral position the water is coming down towards the descending colon, which is in the left paravertebral gutter. Um, and uh, it's just helping to keep the sigmoid straight during that initial insertion phase. And what you're trying to do with the tip of the colonoscope is not to push too, too hard or too aggressively, just gently rotating the tip of the scope using slight angulation to find the next fold and fractionally pulling back. Now there are some subtleties here because what I like to do is I also like to give some buscopan, 10 milligrams beforehand, so you haven't got that um, resistance on the tip of the scope from clonic spasm. And particularly at the mid-sigmoid, frequently moving the patient onto the back, so the supine, helps to reduce the angulation at the mid-sigmoid. So these are again subtle things which you can do, um, but you're generally trying to move gradually forward aspirating any gas pockets or any air to pull the colon towards you and keep that straight. There's quite a
0: lot of of gentle talk,
1: is there? Gentle talk both left and and, right uh, as you're moving forward. Uh, There are some subtleties. Again, if you have poor bowel preparation, you may need to do a lot of water exchange and sometimes you do need to use some carbon dioxide to be able to see. But if the bowel prep is good, you can generally insert through the sigmoid um, without using very much gas at all. Some people will disable the carbon dioxide, so they can't use the carbon dioxide during that part of the insertion. I don't think that's necessary, but just absolute minimal amounts of gas at that point. Once you get up to splenic flexure, if you're straight, then using water for the entire insertion, I think, is unnecessary. Then you can use carbon dioxide slightly quicker, and the passage, generally, if you've got a straight sigmoid, is easy across to the, the, the sequel pole. Yes, But there are lots of nuances. You may get different types of loop forming. The most common one is the end loop, which um, has a spiral configuration. This is clockwise twist and withdrawal once the tip is secured in the descending colon to straighten the instrument. Sometimes we get an alpha loop, which is a, a, a very exaggerated but flat loop. And sometimes you can develop an alpha loop if you use abdominal pressure. Because it, rather than the spiral 3D effect, it flattens the loop and creates a flat loop which is, goes to an alpha. And actually an alpha loop is a good loop because you can basically just continue to push until you get to the splenic flexure with the alpha loop, knowing that you can derotate it once you're... With mean, clockwise that point. Ro- derotation? Clockwise twist and withdrawal. always. Um, if you do that, if there's a lot of clockwise torque used or derotation, quite often you'll get a loop coming into the umbilicus of the colonoscope. And you need to be meticulous about taking that additional loop that you've taken out of the main shaft of the colonoscope, pushing it down towards the, uh, the processor. And if that looping is becoming uncomfortable in terms of your handling of the instrument, you should disconnect the system, undo the loop, um, briefly lose the image, but then you're straight again. Uh, so so we're up at
0: the splenic flexure now, and what's the next move? Do we change position at this point?
1: So splenic flexure generally you get a better view across the transverse with the patient supine on their back, so uh, movement of position is, is useful at that point. And then it's a matter again of just very gradual uh, forward movement, suction of gas to, to bring the, the right colon, to reduce the, the, the length of the right colon and to bring it towards the tip of the colonoscope. In many patients, um, because the transverse colon is free on a mesentery, you'll get a deep transverse loop forming. Uh, And in those patients, gentle pressure, very low in the abdomen, almost down in the pelvis, pushing upward can be very useful just to deflect the force from the scope towards the the proximal uh, transverse colon. Um, And it's a matter across the transverse of often advancing a little and then pulling back to lift the transverse, advancing and lifting, eventually getting to the hepatic flexure using suction and once the tip of the scope passes around the hepatic flexure then you can straighten and pull right back eventually then passing down to the cecum and most um, uh, insertions you should only have 70 to 80 centimeters of scope inserted into the patient.
0: Getting around the hepatic flexure can occasionally be awkward do you have any tricks there? Again,
1: this uh, is brought to life when you use magnetic imaging. You can see whether it's deep transverse looping or whether it's recurrent sigmoid looping. So you may direct hand pressure accordingly. Um, Lying the patient very flat or back over to the, the right or left lateral positions can be useful at that point. Sometimes even putting the patient's supine on the, on the belly can be helpful, gives generalised abdominal pressure. So you may try one position after another until it goes? And, and it, and yes, but guided ideally by, by, magnetic, by magnetic imaging. Uh, another trick which can be useful sometimes is to use the diaphragm, get the patient to take a big breath in. Uh, that flattens the diaphragm and slightly pushes the tip of the scope when the at the hepatic flexure down towards the ascending colon that can be very useful sometimes and quite a dramatic shift of several centimeters.
0: Yes, Uh, I I always feel that you know don't delay turning the patient if you need to. Position changes
1: both during insertion and withdrawal are crucial to to get the optimal position. Um, Sometimes of course the anatomy is against you and you have unusual adhesions They they may occur anywhere. Post surgical adhesions may be from pelvic surgery in the sigmoid colon, but equally post cholecystectomy or post any abdominal surgery, gastric surgery, for instance, you can get unusual adhesions in the transverse colon, hepatic flexure area. So you have to be cognizant of that, and no colonoscopist on the planet has 100% secal intubation rate, there will always be a small percentage where it's just not safe or possible to do. There are tricks to, to get around in a higher percentage, the most common one being the use of a gastroscope or a paediatric colonoscope if there's a fixed sigmoid colon. But equally, sometimes the bowel is very long. About 20% of patients would have what we would describe as a long colon, and in those patients, use of a device such as the endocuff, which secures the tip of the scope and allows you to anchor the tip and then uh, straighten the scope more effectively can be useful and we also have double balloon colonoscopy which is also good the two bo- balloons a bit like going through the small bowel they anchor the the mobile colon and allow you to progress and you sometimes so find yourself away. using that in the colon yes not, not just the small bowel and the no it's very useful in the colon in certain patients with very long colons
0: And then getting down to the tip of the cecum, sometimes it's difficult. Is it a suction, mostly? It is
1: difficult. You can use use suction. Repositioning to the right lateral position is particularly useful for this. The abdominal, uh, the the intraluminal contents will tend to fall back towards the hepatic flexure, giving you a much better open view of the cecal pole. And, of course, the cecum is an area where there's a lot of pathology, so you need to be absolutely meticulous that you've seen the cecal pole in detail, photo documented it, and looked around the back of the ilea sequel valve. It's easy to miss a cancer, small cancer, on the back of the ilea sequel valve or right in the, in the uh, secal pole.
0: In some of these programs, they ask
1: whether we've done a J maneuver in the cecum. Is that obligatory? It's not obligatory. J manoeuvre anywhere is not obligatory. You have to be careful. You can perforate performing even rectal yeah, retroflexion. You mentioned that this morning in your talk, uh, and, I, and, and some rectums are narrow. Some right colons are narrow. It's worth just just attempting gently. But if it's not going, don't don't force the issue. Uh, it certainly is not obligatory. What's obligatory is to take your time and to look carefully, be it in in forward view or retroflexion.
0: And finally, the terminal ileum. How often? Do you make yourself go in there if you're not really interested in, in a particular patient looking at small bowel disease, or do
1: you, do you insert the colonoscope into the terminal ileum every time? No, I, I don't insert every time. If the, if the indication for the procedure is mainly bowel cancer screening or polyp follow-up or uh, a non-diarrheal indication, then I don't think there's any necessity to go into the terminal ileum. As long as you photograph the appendix orifice and the ileocecal valve well, of course, it's a. It isn't. It's a. It's a good thing to do because you, it, you practice getting into the terminal island for the times that you do need to get in. So, if again, if it's easy to do, then I would do it every time. But if it's proving difficult, or uh, you want to spend more time looking during withdrawal, it's not a, It's not mandated by any means. And is
0: there a particular p- position that makes it easier to get into the terminal island for you?
1: Uh, I don't think there's any particular position, but again, a bit like getting down into the seqal pole, you may find certain positions are easier than others. A, a key tip is to, once you're in the right position, you're sitting over the valve, is to decompress the sequel pole. This takes the pressure off the ileo valve and means it tends to open up. The tendency is to always inflate at that point, but actually it just stretches the valve and closes and the, it. The valve sort of disappears, doesn't it, yeah. if, you, if you over-inflate. Now, you talked about
0: buscopan earlier, Yeah. Uh, and we could just mention sedation as well. What's your approach to
1: those? So, to sedation, I, the key thing is the patient and having that flexible, tailored approach. Uh, many patients are quite happy with no sedation at all. So, we just give a 10 milligrams, max 20 milligrams of buscopan. Um, other patients want to be asleep and if they want to be asleep we should give them proper foal and knock them right out. Uh, but there are some who just want to f- feel that they've had some some patients in in between will want a, a small dose of sedation so small doses fifty milligrams of fentanyl one to two milligrams of midazolam is usually quite adequate
0: yeah keep it keep it low for safety reasons as well as. Yes, uh, and for else.
1: for efficiency reasons and for all, all all sorts of reasons. But if a patient is really has been traumatised as some patients have unfortunately by colonoscopy and they want to be asleep, we should give them that option. Yeah, and that means having the anaesthetist there and giving them proper form. So at
0: St we run at two or three GA lists a week at least. We now. we have six to seven. Six to seven now, as many as that, and. uh There's always a lot of talk about um, taking the colonoscope out slowly, looking for polyps, particularly in the screening colonoscopies. Do you have any tips about that? And and then we could mention dye
1: spray or um, uh, uh, narrowband imaging. Yeah, so there are a lot of different uh, um, adjuncts, if you like, to the examination process now. Um, There are caps, there are endocuffs, Um, And there are different modalities with which we can interrogate the the mucosa, narrowband imaging, blue light imaging, Uh, we can use dye spray. These are all very small additions compared to actually just doing the examination properly, which means taking your time, um, distending the bowel so that you can see adequately, uh, changing the patient's position so that the bowel that you're examining is distended, the bowel will be collapsed in various different positions. So if you try to examine for instance the descending colon in the left lateral position the bowel will be collapsed and you're unlikely to see it very clearly. If you move the patient to the right lateral position it opens up and you can see it, you can aspirate fluid in that area, everything becomes easier. So it's looking carefully, it's knowing what you're looking for of course is also important and we're now looking for very subtle abnormalities such as sessile serrated lesions um, and. F- flat lesions we're looking for color contour change uh, the biggest advance i think in recent years in terms of detection has been the endocuff because this allows you to open out the folds the haustral folds there may be up to 100 in the average colon uh, can be quite prominent and the endocuff allows you to open out the folds very nicely and give a more longitudinal tubular view which improves detection. In bowel cancer screening there's a 10% increase in, in, in ADR.
0: So are you using it routinely in bowel Within cancer? Within bowel cancer
1: screening, yes. What about ordinary diagnostic? It depends on, on, on the on the indication for doing the procedure. If, if the indication is just to exclude pathology in an elderly patient who might have previous adhesions or is known to be have a technically difficult colonoscopy, I probably wouldn't use it. We might use a paediatric scope. Uh, but for if it's if the underlying indication for doing the procedure is to exclude polyps or as a polyp prevention, then I then I would use it in most patients. Not all, and there are there are caveats to when I wouldn't use it: anal pathology, the insertion into the through the anal canal can be slightly more traumatic. If anybody has an anal stenosis or significant hemorrhoids, you shouldn't use it. So hence the need
0: for the rectal examination in the first place. Exactly. And maybe a, a history before you do it. Exactly. Um, right. And um, in terms of you, you're looking for polyps as you come out and using various... Uh, adjuncts, as you call them, we get to the rectum and we have the business of re- uh, retroflexion of, of the rectum. Now, most of these programs ter- ask us whether we've done it or not as a yes. as a um, key uh, KPI. Um, but uh, as you said this morning in in your talk. To the frontiers, there is a small but not negligible uh, perforation rate yes. uh, b- being recorded. So we have to do that very carefully, and if it's too
1: painful at any you moment, should, you, you should, should stop. Up. But obviously, if you can't do it, you then have to be meticulous about looking in the forward view. Uh, if you use a device like the uh, endocuff or the plastic cap, then actually you can see in the forward view. You don't you don't need you don't particularly need to retroflex. Um, and it's all about doing an adequate examination. There are certain areas that I always like to double-check, and the, the rectus sigmoid is one of those. As you fall back from the sigmoid colon into the rectum, that's an area where there's a lot of pathology and it's quite easy to miss things.
0: So you go back in once you've a done couple couple of, that? i of just to examine
1: that a couple of times to make sure that's okay. Um, around the flexures, again, it's very easy to miss things, so sometimes you have to push forward to almost the scope to come backwards to show you the flexures. Yes. To be careful there, the cecal pole and around the back of the ileocecal valve, again crucial, and the low rectum. It's quite easy to miss pathology very low in the rectum, and this is why ideally you would retroflex, but not if it's proving difficult to do. But If you haven't retroflexed, be very careful to, to look in the forward view.
0: Right, I think we've covered it pretty well. Um, At St. Mark, certainly every patient gets a copy of, of all the pictures and the, and the report, which to allow them to
1: yes, remember and, it, especially if they've had some sedation, they won't remember it sometimes. <laughs> this has emergency contact numbers on it as well in case there's any problem. Uh, that's, that's very important. And um, if you can incorporate the photos onto the endoscopy report, it makes it a much more comprehensive document. Um, and it's often when you're explaining to patients what you've found, if you can show them those photos it makes it easier.
0: Well thank you very much Professor Saunders for a a, a very um, detailed and interesting Um, explanation of the basics of colonoscopy. I think for a lot of people listening, that will be most useful. And I hope uh, that they'll put some of those things into practice to help them do the colonoscopies that they do uh, even better than they have up till now. So uh, thank you very much for listening. And uh, we look forward to welcoming you to another podcast at a later date. Thank you very much. Thank you, It's
1: been a pleasure.